Hey folks, this is Nathan from 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. If you'd like to help support our podcast, there's a few ways you can go about doing so. First, you can get some cool rewards by supporting us at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade. Check out our website at utilitymuffinlabs.com. We now have a shop where you can get your very own Utility Muffin Lab sticker or pick up a cool shirt from our Tee Public shop. That's tpublic.com slash utilitymuffinlabs. If you want to send us comments or you are a content creator who'd like to be on one of our podcasts, send us an email to nathan at utilitymuffinlabs.com. Finally, you can send me actual physical letters to P.O. Box 30332, Indianapolis, Indiana, 46230. We will be at Gen Con this August as well, so keep listening for more details as they become available. Thank you for supporting Utility Muffin Labs. We are consistently rated adequate. This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast. Brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. My name is Nathan. And my name is Bob. And right now, I'm brewing coffee. But I figured, while we brew coffee... I would read an email that we got because it's been a hot minute since we've gotten a chance to read some emails on the podcast. A bit of coffee talk. Yeah, absolutely. So since uh, we're going to read this email, let's also mention what book we're going to review today. Sins of the Blood. Right. And so what would you say Sins of the Blood is? Like, how would you describe it? Uh, Sins of the Blood answers uh, what a bad guy is, to be mm-hmm. honest. What a... Uh, and and let, me, let, me, let me be more than that because it is definitely in depth. It's a gray, right? Right. There are definite do's and don'ts as a vampire, right? And you know what they are, right. no matter what sect you are. Right. This book covers those. But it also highlights the fact that when you're that person, why it's not you're you're not evil. Right? How can you consider a creature of the night to have a good and a bad? Right. There's a lot of gray. However, eating someone's soul, you're fucking bad. Right. They they call these heresies, right? They call these uh, heresies of kindred kind. Um so yeah, definitely we're we're gonna talk about uh diablery and amaranth diablery cults right uh the call to power what that means actual section on crunch of new evil that they put in there or as they like to call it um could be possibly considered evil right and then uh golconda as well which is interesting they talk pretty deeply about it anyways let's get into this email we'll talk about that for a few and then we'll get back and we'll talk about the review of the book um so this email starts out uh, greetings bob and nate i wanted to finally drop you guys a line and say hi hi hello in an accident of serendipity i discovered your show right at the beginning of its run while on a heavy nostalgia bender and searching for podcasts about vampire the masquerade i've been a steady listener ever since awesome just let me say i'm continually amazed on a weekly basis of your plural knowledge and command of the vampire of the masquerade canon and am impressed with your ability to put all of the background and history into context you guys have truly realized the potential of the game and your podcast should be required listening for anyone wanting to run a world of darkness campaign or chronicle rather wow thank you absolutely that's like uh very awesome to hear uh that's like it's like a resounding like a ringing uh, endorsement. It's, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Uh, it goes on. Vampire the Masquerade was a system that I was very interested in back in the day. Uh, probably started three or four chronicles, 
but this was during the college years and they all petered out primarily because of the school workload. But there was also the girls booze, mild hallucinogens factor at play. (laughs) I think we've all experienced that to some degree. Those chronicles rarely got past the first intro creation story. Maybe there were a few combats and uses of disciplines, but not much more else. Looking back now, somewhat wistfully, I regret that I never saw the chronicles through or got the experience uh, or got to experience the true political element of this game. So I suppose in a way your podcast allow me to vicariously experience what I missed out in the 90s. And for that, I thank you. Well, you're welcome. That's awesome. So uh, anyhow, the second reason I'm writing is to get your advice on something. My gaming group primarily does war games, historical strategy, conflict simulations and the like. But over the last year, there has been a heavy, renewed interest in RPGs. All sorts of stuff is now being run, both old school and new, and with various people jumping in and either dusting off or earning their GM stripes. I have to say it's been cool to see this development in uh, and a blast when I've been able to take part. I've considered taking my turn at the head of the table, uh, and World of Darkness is one system that has not been represented yet. So to this, I have a couple of questions. First, for someone just getting back into things fresh, would you recommend starting with the New World of Darkness or Chronicles of Darkness over the Vampire the Masquerade rule set? The system came into into the fold after I left it, and I'm not sure if it was an improvement on the old system or not. And secondly, as much as I would dig getting a Vampire Chronicle up and running, I don't think the guys in my group would go for uh, for the heavy RP and political nature of it, not to mention that the canon and meta plot can be a bit intimidating for a starting GM. However, I believe I could sell them on a hunter game. This would allow uh, me to add elements of Vampire and Other World of Darkness titles while primarily keeping it action-oriented, human-centric game. Uh, Have either of you guys run a hunter game? And if so, would you mind giving a quick opinion on it? Do you feel it would be better to use Hunter the Reckoning or Hunter the Vigil? Interested to hear your thoughts. All right. That's a lot. Yeah, so so question one. Question one was, um, for someone starting the game from scratch, would you think it would be better to run a Vampire the Masquerade game or a Chronicles of Darkness, uh, a Vampire the Requiem game? What I would say, if it was neutral and you didn't give the history you have with the game already, I would say do New World of Darkness. And why I say New World of Darkness is because the system is built for crunch. It's built for integration of other supernatural creatures seamlessly. It's also built for you to have episodic scene to scene, meaning they have smart ways. Well, I won't say smart. Their system's designed around building scenes that you, the storyteller, can set ahead of time. And that when your team's ready to play, you just pull out your card for the scene, run that scene, and then critique them, give them the XP that they need, and hand that card to them if you like, and then they can keep it. And that's use. You know, I mean, it's it's a smart system for on the fly. We don't want to play every week. Here you go. Start stop. Old World of Darkness that you re- you remember, or at least I should say, have familiarity with the nostalgia element. There you go. Old World of Darkness is going to be um, if you're look one looking for that nostalgia, and you're looking to basically know absolutely where New World of Darkness comes from. That's that's honestly how it is. Like from to me, I have I have both, and I needed both. I can't see any reason why you wouldn't want Old World of Darkness because they are two different flavors of it. Yeah, Old World of Darkness is going to give you the social because it's group social, right? You have the Sabat, you have the Camarilla. Those organizations exist, and there's tons and tons and tons of intrigue, politic, and you know your random times for combat. So for your needs, I wouldn't say Old World of Darkness because you already stated your crew is more uh, warlike. They're looking for more interaction, more crunch, more us versus the demon or the Combat monster. Combat strategy. And New World of Darkness, Hunter the Vigil, I believe it is. 
No, it's Hunter the Reckoning. Sorry. Hunter the Reckoning. That's for a classic World of Darkness. Is it? Yeah, the Reckoning. And then Whichever future. one is, whatever's one yeah. for New World. Why I say New World is because, and you'll see this, in New World of Darkness, their base book is for everybody that has all the rules in it, yeah, right? Yeah, it makes it a lot easier. And when you build that mortal template, you're like, oh, man, far out. Okay, yeah, I understand what they're doing here. And then, like, if you want to play Vampire, you get the Vampire book. And, and the Vampire book instructs you how to work with the base book as will the werewolf changeling and everything else does yeah now what's cool about their hunters though they went deep they deep dove and what a hunter is what they're about specific merits and flaws combat systems combat styles combat 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 how to investigate how to interact with the world i mean they give a bunch of detail they did not give in old world of darkness old world of darkness was sort of heavy reliance on the storyteller already know what it would be like right. to hunt a vampire well, and with with hunter the reckoning too didn't the hunters and correct me if i'm wrong because i've never read any of the hunter the reckoning books but from what i understand they were like imbued with some sort of like uh like uh angelic sort of power right they is that is yeah, that accurate but it tanked right, right? Because they had a uh, hundred books before that, right? Yeah, they had like three, two splat books we went over already, right? You know where it was like the Inquisition, and then right, Hunters Hunted, right, and they, and they weren't just Inquisition, right? Right, it was like Inquisition, and they have their special affairs division, right? And then, they had yeah. separate books for separate flavors, but at the end of the day, you were still just this guy in a corner doing his thing. Right. When it came out with that imbued, turned it on its head, right? Which, which, I, to be totally fair, my opinion on that is uh, they're no longer hunters. Right? right. Once you give them powers, they're no longer hun- no longer hunters. They're now guys with supernatural or you know, guys, folks with supernatural powers. I mean, like they're chosen by God to hunt down. And I know what this is. Right. If you notice in the beginning of Old World Darkness, you had true faith. Somewhere mm-hmm. everybody could take hands of God. Everybody can have a hand on it. Right. Right. Then they got rid of it. Right. Right. And then we're like, oh, it's only for mortals and super special God right. people. And now the imbued, the imbued are chosen by angels to right. come and combat the end times. And really, you're running a, you're running an end time chronicles. You want to use mortals in an end time chronicles that won't get smeared, right? Those are the guys that do it. But as Nate said, they're basically X Men. When when I've ever ran a hunter game, every time I've ran one, my hunters are just normal folk, right? I want to have my players create a normal human being that's been adversely touched by the supernatural, that has a motivation to go and hunt down these monsters, right? When you're playing a hunter game, the goal should be paint the supernaturals as if they are horrifying, horrifying creatures. They are monsters, right? They're not. uh, And as a as a vampire player, there should always be someone that you can go, man, it would suck to be in this position. Like this is a romantic kind of like personal horror situation to me, a hunter in the world of darkness. It should be like playing aliens. And to a to to a degree, a very strong degree, that's what they did with hunters, right? Right. That's what the imbued are. The imbued right. don't see vampires, werewolves, and anything else as anything but monsters. Meaning, right. it's not a social thing. They actually see them, right? Like undead can, depending on how old they are, can look like a three headed skeletal monster, right? Trying to come at them, and they got to put it down. You know, it just depends. And they have you know rules, stickers, and all that. But it's too much, right? It's too much. It's too weird. It it just didn't fit, in my opinion. But when you run just the Frog Brothers, you know, <laughs> right. I think those are the best chronicles. Right. Your players aren't going to be super powered. They have to rely on each other. And they're dealing one neonate can be an entire month right. worth of fighting and dying uh, if it's done wrong. I mean, that's what one vampire with, you know, level three presence can basically end your game. 
you know, so it's like it, that's something that you want to keep in mind. You know, if you are going for that horrifying aspect, um, I think as a hunter, um, it's imperative to to utilize the, uh, to utilize those supernatural creatures as antagonists in a way that makes humans tremble. And to that end, I guess what we're saying is decide what level of hunters you want, what right. style of hunters you want, then get in your theme and everything else. Right. Because you can have super powered hunters because you're going to take on all sorts of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a fun ride, too. In fact, one of my funnest games I played in was where some of us had psychic power, some of us were cyber enhanced, you know, were using tech to get by and whatever. Yeah. Had all these interesting flaws and fully developed characters. But the cool thing was we were still getting rolled by basically the deputy. Right. You know what I mean? We encounter he won't go down. Well, and then even one of the one of the best games that we've ever played in, like just as players, we are a Pentex first team hunting down werewolves. Right. We're, we are <laughs> in a very traditional sense of the word. We are the worst bad guys. But in our minds, we're not. We're the good guys. We're hunting down these terrible monsters and we're funded by organizations, right? We're essentially doing government work. Now, at the end of the day, when we're all sort of like in our shadowy bedrooms, like dealing with our own demons and monsters, literally, you know, we're not the good guys. Right. But, you know, it's it's all about perspective and it's all about painting that picture. And you can be very clever and be nuanced and not just make the the enemy of your hunters just be these these like faceless baddies that you got to knock down you can actually make them three dimensional and provide something really interesting to the role play and not just like there's the bad guys go kill them and to that end new world i mean we're talking about old world excuse yeah. me that's all old world darks we just right. mentioned old world darkness though was kind of like choose your comic series Right. right, whatever comic series is going to have that comic theme from that comic's perspective. New World of Darkness combines that all seamlessly. So when you choose to play those hunters, they even have a specific thing you want to look it up. It's uh, your hunters can work for Vascu, V-A-S-C-U. I believe his name It's off the top of my head here, but basically they're designed to hunt down serial killers. Right. That's their point, but it is not out of the realm that they're going to run into vampires, werewolves, what have you. It's all it's all doable, and they pay attention to making sure the system fits the equipment and rule set for the players. It basically arms the players to make the choice as to what type of hunter they're going to be based on the hunter they build. And I think that's the method uh, that that I prefer if I'm going to run a hunter game because I like rules where the die roll. Like that's the other thing. Old World of Darkness, you're going to be doing a, a lot of die rolling because it's an older system, and for the time it worked. New World of Darkness, it's actually a streamlined system of die rolling. You know, it's like one and done. Whether I do damage or soak or what have you, we already rolled the dice, we already know the outcome, let's move on with what we're doing in the combat. And combat enthusiasts love it, because uh, I, I do like my combat, I I especially like my role playing uh, as, as a heavy focus, so that's there too. Getting your friends interested in the platform, there's no wrong way to do it, right? Um, and, and I think for me, and I, I, I'm not, I don't want to speak for Bob, but I'm going to, the reason why I've always enjoyed world of darkness so much is because there really isn't a wrong way, right? If we want to sit down and just roll out some dice and fuck shit up, you know, do some beer and pretzels gaming, you can do it in world of darkness. If you want to do the politics, you can do it in world of darkness. If you want the magic, you know, tech savvy, uh, you know, kind of like, a combination of Shadowrun and like that's there. That's mage, right? If you want to just be we're the monsters and we hunt down evil and we just murder shit, 
you can do that, right? You can do that with werewolf, but you can also do it a different way, which is intrigue and politics and, you know, uh, all, all the, all the intricacies and don't, I, I would say, don't be intimidated by the quote unquote canon, because look, if you, if you sit down and you start an old, an old world of darkness, a classic world of darkness game, right. And all of your players are neonates and you, and you walk them through creating a character and you walk them through becoming vampires, they don't know shit. Their, their characters don't know anything. So they only need to know what you know, right? So you're building the world out for them. Much like a baby, you're exploring and learning all of these things together. So, you know, for me as a storyteller, when I first started, it was, okay, what am I going to do this week? All right, well, I better read up some so that I at least have the basic knowledge of, you know, what, what did the venture do? Well, okay, I'll, I'll have that covered because that I know is going to come up. And if it doesn't come up, make it up, right? That's the thing that you need to remember. You're the storyteller, right? So you should always proceed in any game with the utmost confidence. Okay, I got this. And everybody that sits down with you, they're inexperienced, so they're not going to know the difference. And if they do, like tell them, hey, man, when you're ready, you sit at this table where I'm at. Right. You know, that that's it's a journey together. You're all learning and you're all growing. The last thing I'm going to say uh, about the question here, you, you revealed something here. You said you guys are into war games and the tabletop miniatures, I'm assuming, is what you're getting to, like Warhammer 40K, Battle Mech or Tech. I forget which one it is. I got to let you know something. A lot of people who are into war games like to forget that war is the end of politics and intrigue meaning politics is a negotiation amongst factions that could go to war right as to how they're going to go to war right politics decides that who's going to gain what right intrigue is how you go about it because when politics fails i'm going to find a different way whether it's make a deal with my enemy whether it's sabotage an enemy whatever it is and try to get away with it or if it's slit the throat of the guy who's not making the deal that would work right and he's on my team that's called intrigue right politics of that negotiation when diplomacy fails though which is what those both are collectively called diplomacy that's when war is mm-hmm. and war is the most boring part because <laughs> we know what it is we know what it is i don't care how into action anybody is why your games don't last is because when all you do is show up every every night you play the game is let's roll initiative and let's roll this many dice versus this many dice versus this number, and that's it. Eventually, it doesn't matter what descriptor you put to the action. You're just you're just literally playing war, right? Uh, to me, card uh, game. The card game. I'm referring right, right, to right, right, right. War, like you know, actual. I flip. It's a king. You had a nine. I win. Take your card. Right. Absolutely. I, I, and I think that for me, the the big issue that I've always had with with like the the dice rolling primary games is that there isn't a lot of that three dimension, you know, where you're role playing, like even to me, like sit down and play Warhammer 40 K, right? It's just an army game, right? I, I have an army, you have an army. They're vastly expensive and they're beautifully well painted. Right. But are you, uh, are you servants of slanish? Like, wh- like wh- what is, what's the motivation here to fight? Like and I'm exactly- here serving the emperor. Right. And, and my army's here to serve the emperor and I want to get into it. I want to role play. Right. I, you know, I'm moving this army. Why? Because I know that you, you serve something, you know, different, right. You're the enemy. Right. And I, I you know, that I want to know that information. I want to know those details and I want to play those details out. I want to role play that. Right. Now, Cause I'm not fighting Bob. Right. But 
to a lot of people who are competitive, right? This is their means for competition, right? You know, they they didn't play sports or they couldn't because of an injury or just never yeah. had the money. Yeah. Like me, to do I don't want to fucking play sports ever. Right. <laughs> so now, so now they find a war game where they can compete right. and get just as into it. So I understand that drive to it, right. but I caution you to remember one thing: competition for competition's sake is boring. Right. You're gaining nothing from that. However, if you open up the full theater of war, start to finish have a reason for the war, have the negotiations come to the table. Um, I would send your players on more than one like diplomatic mission to protect the negotiator and right. throw circumstances where they could ease. A guy who's who's geared to sneak in somewhere and assassinate someone is perfect as a bodyguard because they know who to look for. But imagine how much information he could get in espionage just being in the building to protect a guy right and how would that fuel their actions how would that change your team and to a lot of people are like oh man i'm not looking for that it's just that's just so boring that's why they got video games to be yeah, honest no, absolutely because and then it's not me shitting on you it's that i know how that person's gonna be that mm-hmm. exact attitude of oh man gosh i'm just not into that let's just get to the combat that person's bored no matter what you do yeah and and i mean there are like hundreds and hundreds of games you know, there's hundreds of real-time strategy games that you can play online with other people, right? So to me, here's a here's an interesting thing. I had never heard of, you used one of the terms earlier, you used the term crunch, and there's another one, fluff. I'd never heard these terms before we started doing this podcast, right? I did not have any real interest to, like, explore online communities for gaming, right? Because we've had our gaming group for years, right? We are well established with our gaming group and we're lucky in that, right? But when you go online and you hear something as dismissive as the term fluff, yep. to me, there is a whole generation of people who just don't understand why strategy games turned into role-playing games, mm-hmm. right? If you think back to the origins of Dungeons and Dragons, which is where we all come from, right? That's where we all come from. We come from tabletop strategy games where we're moving miniature soldiers and reenacting and doing war reenactments mountain dew doritos that's that's where where it all starts right and what happened was these people went there's so much more to explore here like what is the motivation for playing this game because truth be told getting together every week with my little miniature toys and rolling dice and deciding outcomes is boring right think back when you were four and five years old and you were sitting on your floor using your imagination and creating scenarios with your toys, your GI Joes, your, your, you know, your X-Men or your Spider-Man or your whatever, your He-Man toys. And there were fights for sure. But when you, and I've heard stories from you, Bob, I sat down I and, you know, I was like, oh, maybe if I roll a little dice to figure out what the outcome is, like you're using those tools to figure out the story elements. To decide the story where it's going. Right. What is the motivation for these individual soldiers to go to war? What is the motivation for these hunters to get up every morning and search for something designed to kill them? And that's what we're, we're trying to figure out here. And that's why our podcast is almost always focused on what's called fluff. Because that's what the purpose of this game is. That's why we can enjoy going back to it so much. And, you know, pick any game that's been around for 20 years or more. Your Shadowruns, your Dungeons and Dragons. There's more than just, ah, they got a really great rule set. A rule set can suck. But if the game is good, if the story is good, if if the canon of the world that's been created is good, it provides you endless exploration. And that is more than what you bargained for on your question list. 
Uh, we wish you the best of luck. Yeah, absolutely. On, on your hunter game, and welcome back to the world of darkness. And your email was awesome. That exactly right. <laughs> That's where I was. All righty. So let's let's get into a little bit more of the world uh, of Vampire the Masquerade and what we call vampire heresies. So, sins we, of the blood. Just a refresher. Yeah, We're back sins here. of the blood. The review. The reason why you came <laughs> <laughs> after we've scolded you but also rewarded you, I guess. I don't know. So um, anyways, this is like the first book where I've seen uh, where they kind of collect all of those like Diablery and, and Golconda, like Golconda to me, it's been mentioned in previous books, but it's never really been like, Hey, these are kind of the things that you'll end up experiencing if you try to pursue it. They, uh, they, they paint it more in here for sure. And that's, and I think, You'll notice some redundancy for some. Some people yeah. read about Gokanda, read what the rules were behind Gokanda, the idea of Gokanda, went, okay, I get that. Yeah. Went in depth. So when you read this, you're going to be like, oh, okay, you're just expanding upon what I understand. Right, for you're sure. Abs- you're absolutely right. But this book is not for you. This book is for someone who said, who read that and for whatever reason didn't quite understand it beyond the stats. And you know now it's like, how do we get there? How do I role play that? How does the storyteller portray that? Mm-hmm. Sins of the Blood does get into it. But that's ahead of the curve, so to speak. Right. First is that they uh, talk about in Chapter 1, Sins of Morality, where it exam- examines the complex code of kindred ethics. Right. Right? It's sort of like a, uh, an essay regarding what uh, the, do's and do's, the do's and don'ts are for both the Camarillo and Sabat, and it's all from a moral code. Right. Right? They both have different moral compasses. Now, for the Camarilla, it's human-focused. Right. It's a retention of humanity to preserve the masquerade and thus their own existence. Do n- never mistake... And this book outlines it. It's not about you're humane or you're into charities. It's because you consider where the camera, excuse me, where the Sabak call them like, uh, what is it, juice boxes. <laughs> Refer to mortals as something derogatory like that. Right. Uh, the Camarilla calls them herd, right? right. Or, or the stock or the, uh, the, what am I thinking of? Animal stock or some term like that. They, there's derogatory terms where they're just nothing. Right. They're just, they're just animals we care for because we got to feed on them. Right. We keep them around. And the point is, how is it any different than the Sabbat? Well, the, the Sabbat, um, they uh, they are wolves among the sheep. To me, the Camarilla, and this is just my perspective, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Right. And and why are they doing that? And well, the interesting part about it is that when you look at it again, they abolish that imagery that they're not the same. Right. They are the same. They're absolutely the same. The Sabbat does not stand out in war with humanity. No. <laughs> Right. No, absolutely. They would die. Right. That's that's the given element. Um, are they predators though? Yes. Remember, a vampire is always a hunter. And hunters, a perfect kill is never getting hurt by what you hunt. Right. That you're there, you supremely dominate it, and it's done. And that's the goal. So they're not warring against mortals because they're just they're just outnumbered. When it comes to the Camarilla, the Camarilla blends into where you would never know they were there. That is their goal. That is the hope. And that's and that's how it works. Well, and- and and it's because too the, they they respect and uh, one of the traditions the major tradition is the masquerade right and and there is a reason for that but in order to to fulfill that tradition you have to hide among the the stock the herd right you have to hide among that which you hunt upon it's crucial it's right. that simple um but what they get into in the morality is discussing in detail new passive enlightenment now. For those of us listening to the Chaining of the Beast podcast, we go over the past. They're not new. No. They're all in that book. 
This book, though, goes over, does it work for the Camarilla? Does it work for the Sabat? Can you see him in there? And they broaden the horizons from Chaining the Beast because you may not know this. When Chaining the Beast was released and people saw it, there was, there was almost an outcry. There, there were no Camarilla Pass. Right. Why, why, is that, why aren't the Camarilla Pass? We can't be on Well, because the answer is, and this book kind of highlights it, it has its own section, in fact, to say, oh, you could. Right. But here's our immediate reasons. Right. You it's know, very rare. It's, it has to be rare, right? Because it's somebody whose humanity went so low yeah. that someone approached them, usually predating the sect, that is, right. to allow them to remain where they're at without causing too much issue. Right. And they, they talk about, too, that um, they give an example of an individual who was embraced who, during, like in his life, his thought process was so distinctly different from like just normal human beings that the sire was like, my child is not going to last long, right? He couldn't right. identify with the, the humanity's way of thinking in life and in death. He's not long for this world. And so in a very rare situation, um, he petitioned and was able to find someone that could sort of school him in a path of enlightenment. So it's not impossible that someone in the Camarilla could do it, but it's so rare that we can point out specific instances of it happening, you know, and that that's the key. Nothing's impossible in this world. That's one thing that these books have, have taught me and, and hopefully everybody else has gotten that too, but you have to understand how incredibly rare these things are. So, right. And cool thing about this book, it's actually all narrated mm -hmm. uh, by a true Bruja named Nehemia. Mm -hmm. Notice I said cool and mentioned true Bruja. It's because it's just the story, <laughs> right. right? He never once talks about Temporis. He makes, in fact, it was a rare obscure reference I discovered while in a shitter, <laughs> right? right? He mentioned that his path has a strong focus to show no emotion from the embrace. Hey, even a true Bruja can be a cool character. Right. The, and, and that's, that's, again, it goes back to what I just said. Like anything's possible. I don't think personally the true Bruja are inherently bad. I think that they're bad because they're the people that play them typically. And hey, spoiler alert, even even Nehemia felt he should die. <laughs> just saying he's too bright. He said, Hey man, right, I should be right. dead. And he killed himself. Well, I mean, you know, just, when you know, you're when you're on a path that espouses a complete detachment from emotion, sometimes you get to the point where you're like, What is the point of me existing? Let's talk about that. Because at mm -hmm. the very point he makes in the book, it kind of combines Golconda and Suspire. Right. And the same thing, right? Now, what's Suspire? Suspire is the personal test you undergo when attempting to achieve Golconda. And Nehemia makes a strong point and a definite point that I agree with is the fact that you don't think you're pursuing Golconda. That's not what you do. Right. Right. No one's looking to that. Right. That's like saying, Hey man, if I'm nice enough, I can become Jesus. That's what I'm, that's what I'm going for. Become the new Messiah. Mm -hmm. Everyone gets free cookies every Sunday. Path of Jesus revelations. Man. Right. I just there made you it go. up. Just make it happen. Jesus revelations. But the point is, it doesn't work that way. It's if you're not now, you never were is a phrase I enjoy. That's kind of what this is. Once you switch to a path and you're walking in that path, you can't be someone who seesaws. Right. Right. Someone who seesaws is probably never, ever going to see Golconda. But someone who takes a path, makes that path their own, is devoted to that path, pursues it, and is just about it. They're one day going to be confronted by a suspire, a personal challenge. Right. And that suspire has several things to the personal challenge. One, uh, the characteristics, Nehemia says, it's going to always include a characteristic of your clan. I love the analogy he uses, that a Lysambra experienced Suspire could, and this could be valid for an ST to do, sit and stare at a mirror, right? realizing they don't have a reflection, and start having insight or challenge to whom they were or what have you. And very interesting, 
Suspire forces you off your path and to question who you were the first week of your embrace. That person. Right. That person you've long since abandoned. And for whatever reason, it's that struggle. It's having to define whatever the storyteller is looking for. And this is what this is what I'll tell you. I'll cut to the cut through right to the point you want to listen to. If you're gonna pursue this, you're gonna do a new path. The storyteller has to be someone who is convinced this person belongs on Gokanda. You know, they have to be beyond peer in representing the path, but then also possess the knowledge to know the importance of this path is because they understand humanity well, which is where they came from, so that they don't fall off it. You know, you you want to run a game where someone passes a suspire and they're in Gokanda and whatever cool things you decide that's what it is, and this person's still making decisions as if he's human. I think, too, you know, listening to us talk about Golconda and things like paths, I think part of the reason why a lot of players have such a deep issue with, like, understanding how these things work is because this game, more so than any other I've played, requires an intimate uh, inter- interchange with you and your storyteller, with you and the person that's running the game, right? There isn't, like... Hey man, if I do this nine times and I do this ten times, I get to Suspire, and then I get to go to Golconda and I I win the Golconda. That's not a thing, right? right? And so, in a game like this where you don't have those things, you need books like this to help you to understand and wrap your brain around concepts that are not defined by rules. They're not defined by you know one to ten. They kind of are right? If you're following the path, but even those leave so much up to interpretation. And I think that's the major difference between this game and a lot of other games and and white wolf games in general, you know, you have sort of a level, but it's sort of like, it's hard to pin down. It's hard to go. This, this is the hard and fast rule, you know, and to use that word you used crunch. This is the crunch. This is, I need to do 10 X this plus this many dice to get Golconda. I always consider it a performance. Right. With you and the storyteller. It's like a dance. Right. And you guys are practicing. And, and one day you're going to dance in front of right. people. So make sure that your dance partner at least knows the moves. And that analogy is just to highlight that you always are practicing. Right. You know, every game session is practicing with your partner there. And eventually your partner understands you, you understand them, and you kind of know where your actions need to be. Right. And you know what they're about. And he's still there to guide you because there's a story involved. Right. And that's, and that's the point of the game. But in stuff like morality... It is well beyond, and it highlights this, it's well beyond the paths. Yeah, The player has to have the maturity to understand what morality is and is not. Right. What is common, uh, common taboo amongst mortals, maybe not so much amongst the vampires and right. where that line is. And they also have the maturity to understand you're not that monster. You're still you in real life. Right, it is okay to explore and be these creatures because that's what you signed up for. Right. There's a shared fantasy here, and it's just a fantasy. And if you're somebody who understands that, then you're going to have a lot of fun in these areas. And these are just guides of how to role play yeah. those methods and that methodology. Right, right. No right or wrong answers. It's, it's, all, it's all about the experience. Right. And, and so I would say to summarize this first chapter here, which talks about these paths, I think it's great for players uh, and storytellers for sure who have always wanted to explore paths of morality but weren't quite sure how to go about starting that process off. You know, how where does how do you join a path? How do you get on a path? How do you change your morality? This is great. I think this is a really important chapter for that. Uh the next uh, jump then is uh, sins of society. 
Uh, here we consider the uh, social taboos of basically all vampires, right? Uh, considerations such as sect and those who refuse to associate with them, the Autarchus. They're discussed in detail here. You're also going to come into a uh, a term in this chapter uh, that they refer to. Um, or was that last chapter and we missed it? What? I don't want to miss it. It's a big section, the whites. Oh, yeah. No, that's immorality. Yeah. Okay. So one point we missed, it's a big one. Um, whites. W-I-G-H-T. What happens when I get to zero? We talk about Suspar and Gokanda. Like he said, what happens mm-hmm. when you hit the big O, though? Why you lose your character is because a white is not intelligent, like you're thinking. Right. It is just an animal. It's an immortal animal. It's going to slake its thirst on blood and other vampires. That's what it knows. And it understands the fundam- and understand what that creature may look like, too. Nothing's taboo here. Right. Like, when it comes to a white, a guy even describes he's seen all shapes and sizes, right? From the most feral to the even monstrous, because it depends. If this is a creature that kills mortals but drags them for whatever reason to a necropolis where he swims in like three feet of human remains and feces and whatever, <laughs> why would it do that? We don't know. But it's right. kind of a testament to what the person's nature was in life. Right. What if they were a caregiver? That makes sense for a caregiver, mm-hmm. doesn't? A caregiver who no longer has any humanity whatsoever creates that swampy, soupy hellhole because, in a way, he's taking care of those that he brought to him. He's killed them, but do you think it knows that? Right. And that, and that's the thing that, uh, you know, a, a lot of other books, they go, ah, when you drop to zero, you become a thing and you, your character is unplayable. Well, here's why your character is unplayable. And this this is great for that. I remember when this book came out. I remember when sort of uh, the LARP we were playing and that Bob was running at the time. Um, I remember when these details came out and we started to see how all those characters that dropped to zero, because you got to remember too, like LARP at the time, LARP is uh, runs on a one to five. Yep. Not a one to 10. So it's very, it's a lot easier in LARP to be like, I got one humanity. I'm uh, bleh, and now I'm at zero. Well, thank you. It was nice playing. Uh, we'll go ahead and make a new character. And just what ends up happening in these final nights as all of these zero humanity freaks start running around, but also how difficult it is to anticipate what they're going to do because they are these like rage filled perma frenzies, but they're, they're altered by the concepts of the character. I love this book because of the white section, because uh, I'd run a game about what six years at that point. I think when this book came out, I don't know. Um, this book came out in two thousand and one, so I was twenty at the time. So I know of the game for about three years before that. But but I know like I had been playing since like ninety five or ninety six. So, so it was yeah, earlier than that. five years. My time's way off. But the point is, this book gave something cool, right? That I armed you with, and I remember using it to great effect, right? Because whenever somebody gave up a character, I want to play something new. Right. I detest players who quit. I do. Quitters suck. Call it the football player in me. But if you quit, why'd you show up? Why'd you put on the pads? Why'd you come to the field? I I agree with you. I mean, as a storyteller, and I know we're running a little off topic here, but but But, I feel it bears saying like as a as a storyteller and as a player, I hate it when other people give up characters, too. Right. It's my biggest pet peeve for the game. So the point is, is that right when when you give up, you leave the storyteller with nothing. And all that creativity is lost. Well, I said, no, it's not. I'll keep it. Mm-hmm. It's a, it exists in the world. I'll handle it. 
and I will either NPC and play that. Well, definitely NPC the character, but whether or not you encounter it's based on its concept. But what if that concept was toxic? I warned the player it's toxic. It's hard to do. They come in and play it anyway and realize, yeah, shit, you're right. It is hard. I got to play something else. That is not quitting. That is somebody who is mature enough to go, man, I'm not ready for this. That's right. okay. I'm talking that player who made the concept of his fine gets and game gets bored. Yeah, screw this. Then with something else, you know, not really mature mm-hmm. with it. Um, I use it. Now, what happens is a lot of times these toxic concepts, even those who get lost to the wayside, they can devolve quickly. Right. And when they do, they took two years of real time before we started seeing them. You know what? When you have a Nosferatu whose major hobby is Diablery. Yes. (laughs) It's not going to last long. So what's the cool thing about it? This book describes how these whites have ultimately different characteristics than other vampires. I mean, it goes the gamut, right? Um, one of the ones I'm going to talk about, or two of them, really. Um, one is no pain. Right. Their lack of any emotional hold kind of, they, they don't care about it. They're dead flesh. So everything's superficial, right. unless it's ag damage. And ag damage, they'll just flee. Right? So imagine getting into a fight, and the moment someone uses a wolf claw and slashes the other, that other one will flee. Right. That's not a loss. What it, Remember, they're hunters. They're, they're the epic hunt. There is no vampire alive who has a retention of their path that is as predatory as someone who's a white. It just can't be. Right. So a white does what? It lives to exist. Its sole purpose is survival. Yeah. So it's going to avoid greater predators. It's a full-on instinct exactly. creature. Exactly. It's going to hunt the weak and the infirm, and that's what it's going to do. But if it has to battle for territory, it will until it threatens its life. And then it's going to flee to later on come back to this predator that it thought it could take ambush fashion. And they, and they kind of have that society themselves. But on the flip side, that no pain is a factor. Because if you are one who's going to hunt them, this is your scourges. This is your weird players, you know, who didn't get permission from the prince to do it, but we'll do it anyway. Right. You know, you got to know these guys aren't going to care that you're shooting with Uzis. Your 50 cal shot is going to do little but piss it off. And, you know, it may flee to hunt you. Right. Once, once you shot it and now knows what a gun smell is. Now knows where that may come from. It may have, because it could be an elder is the point I'm driving toward. Right. You have no idea how old a white is when you attack it. No one ever does. Right. Because you can't gauge by humanity. You can't gauge by anything. It's just going to come to you. And what about the discipline usage? One of the most profound things about this is that the physical disciplines, it'll use full to the max to whatever it can do all the time. Right. Right. A white, if it can, if it had the potence of five or higher, yeah, it may very well rip the haven secure panic room right off the walls. Right, it doesn't care about your masquerade. It cares about what's inside. To right. it, it just cracked the shell of the turtle and it's getting right. at the meat. Absolutely. And it's coming for you. However, what if it was a Torador who had all that presence? Right? Presence of nine, we'll say. Won't use it. Just won't. About the only thing it'll use, if anything, dread gaze. Right. It's the only thing effective, right? It gets people away. Right. It'd be the most dread gaze in this dread gaze. And yeah, I mean, think, thing of, think of it like this. It, it, these these uh, individuals, they, they talk about one of the stories in here is that the, a Torador who uh, was lost to a sale, who became a white, who at the at the um, the pinnacle of its existence, it was full on presence monster, right? Just everybody loved him. Everybody wanted to be around him. Uh, but then when he fell to the sale, he was like, it, you couldn't keep up with him. Why? Right. Because the instinct of the predator said, I need to run fast. 
I don't, I don't, I, there's nobody to impress anymore. And those words, those are articulated in a way that even that creature wouldn't understand. You're not going to bargain with it. You're not going to chat with it. You're not going to have a conversation. It can only be destroyed. That's it. Otherwise, it's just a ravaging monster. It's a wild animal that lives in the city. I mean, they give you something uh, to talk, two things to talk about its memories and its appearance. Mm-hmm. One, they give you a little mechanic. Its appearance can never be higher than one. Right. And Nosferatu whites are more horrific. <laughs> what are we talking about? We're talking about the habits that normally made its appearance worthwhile. Right. Bathing and all that other junk. It's out the window. It doesn't care. And it's monstrous now. We're talking if you're at zero, you probably have the most defined predatory features your storyteller can think of that for you that vampire would be. And these are individual. It's not all going to be exactly the same every time. So it's it opens up a level of horror uh, not before talked about. Um, you get to memories. So a white's memories are dependent upon its willpower. And it says that a very willful white, though isn't going to be somebody who still retains everything it knows what it is. It retains a muscle memory of skill is what it's talking about. So an intelligent and cunning white might remember that it can turn on a light and turn off a light that it can lock a door. It would know how to drive a car, but couldn't speak the word drive or tell you what a car is has no idea. Um, it even mentions that, you know, like I believe the story went, he watched a white jump in a car, start it up and drive it forward. But not really understand what that was about. Saw another white that he was hunting, draw a gun from a policeman that just fed on to shoot at him who was hunting it. And it just kept shooting at him even when the gun was empty. And it did so until he got close enough and then threw his gun and forgot his gun to attack him with his hands. That, that was actually an intelligent white, a willful white. And that's what they're talking about. Um, your typical whites, just no savagery. They're not going to bother with all that. And that's, and that's the point. So why do kindred fall this low? Why do they get there? How do they get there? Well, one of the, uh, the methods that they do talk about is the Aubrey. In fact, the Aubrey is mentioned rather heavily in this book. Boy, howdy, I had a tinkle. It's, uh, it's one of those things that uh, erodes your humanity, your, your path, your will to be around quicker than anything. You know, unless you're on a path that condones it, you're pretty much screwed. Right. Well, and that's the thing, too, the, the difference between like condoning the act of diablery and remembering that your path is a philosophical, almost religious sort of you, like you're not diablerizing because you just want to, you know, you're not yep. the slavering beast who willy nilly wants to consume. Most paths, when they do permit it, they permit it for a very almost holy purpose, right? You're gaining something or it, it is for a cause. It's not just, eh, we need more power, let's diablerize. Most of the ones that, most of the paths that espouse power as their prime directive, they're not, they're not uh, overtly condoning diablery. Right. Like, look at Path of Night. Path of Night, you're evil, right? But also killing things is not like a great thing to do. No, not at all. Right. It's, uh, you eventually will. Right. right. That's right. there. You're not against it. You're no. just not looking for it. Whereas like death in the soul. Right. You know what I mean? It's kind of the point. Right. Uh, but driving back home here, um, so your whites are the inevitable end. Avoid being a white. It's basically what it comes down to. A lot more information on them than that, but we gave a good rit, a good uh, toe in the water with them. Um, so jumping into societies, that's where right. we went to. This is officially chapter two. It talks about the Camarilla Sabbat in kind of an interesting way. Um, here it talks about the what is an autarkus, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you've heard me mention autarkus probably the first... 15 podcasts i mentioned somewhere in there uh before nate was like do you remember what book that's in because i was like oh man i can't it's this book 
<laughs> it's in this book. Right, right. It's this book that mentions it. And Autarchus is literally someone who is outcast from their society. They're not simply someone that ups and leaves. They're someone that is thrown out. You've done something that doesn't exactly warrant killing you, but you definitely can't stay. Right. And so you, you get gone. And that's that. And you're someone who lives almost in hiding of the hierarchy. Like you'll talk to the occasional vampire here or there. They may even know you're there. They're just waiting for you to fuck up again so they can come kill you. Right. You're essentially existing outside of the community of either sect or any sect for that matter. Kind of like living alone, being a loner, out for your own personal gratification. But one of the things that they talk about in here is that conversation about you the individual and your only friend and your only friend is your beast. Right. And boy, do I not want that to be my pal? <laughs> like I don't, I don't need a pet beast. You know, I'd rather have a dog. Your, your beast knows one thing and it's going to say this in this book left and right. It wants to hunt and wants to feed and it doesn't care about the rest of it. So you're in constant battle of it, right? You do have a bad side and your bad side takes almost all your strength to keep in the, keep in the box. Right now, to that end, you do have an ego, right? And your beast will use every trick in the world uh, to get you to basically be like it, right? Right. So understand that. Your beast is a living, thinking thing because it's you, and it has that cunning to it. And let's understand something. There is a common parlance where they refer to the seven Ds, right? It's the seven deadly sins. It's young vampires, they call it. I've never heard outside of this book this ever mentioned in any game, tabletop, or live action otherwise. And the 20 plus years I've done this game, right? it's only ever written in this book. Why do I <laughs> state it like that? Because it's only ever written in this book. It's, it's an Autarchist term. It talks about how someone finds themselves an outcast, right? And it goes over all the seven deadly sins. I'm not going to go over every individual. You can read them for in depth. I think that's best. Right. Uh, but I will say this. The examples to give are crucial. If you're someone, when, when a neonate gets embraced, they feel like a lion in the savannah. They have no more pain in their body. They don't have to worry about something stupid as cardio and breath or nothing or sweat. None of that. All those nuances and little things that keep people anxiety ridden at night, they ignore all of it. They're super people. And they immediately know one thing. I can eat that motherfucker over there. And they jump over there. And the dude was a rip brick shithouse, seven foot something. You were only five one. Doesn't matter. My fangs got in him. He's dead. I'm alive. Yeah, I got a I got a blood pool and five strength. So what's up now? Right. And it's a done deal. Well, to your sire just made you, you're probably going to get slapped around. Mm -hmm. Right. You didn't have to kill him. What are you doing? Calm down. And if you're someone who listens, you're okay. Right. But an autarchist wouldn't listen. There'd be someone to go, yeah, whatever, you made me, this is who I am, I'm moving on. Right. Provided you don't get killed, right? Because <laughs> By the way, if I'm your sire, you're dead right there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're just, I'm just doing away with it before it becomes an issue. Um, but there are some people who just don't have the humanity to kill them. They look at it as my son. I embraced him for, like, Lestat. No, yeah, absolutely. Can we just label this? Right. Anne Rice's Lestat, when you talk about the sire that made him, sire that made him was a monster. Right. And Lestat was like, oh, God, I, just, I didn't get a choice. The choice. Bleh, bleh. So he makes Louis. Mm -hmm. Right. What's Louis doing? Left and right. Oh, I can't. The humanity. <laughs> I dread what I might do next. Ah. I'm your sire. I'm Lestat. I kill you. I'm not expending <laughs> attorney with a whiny running around talking about how he can't feed. Right. That, that would like be with uh, somebody who's anorexic. You fell in love before, and then they, they, they suddenly they're anorexic. They won't eat a thing. Oh, the starving people in Africa. 
Yeah. What about the starving skeleton on my fucking couch? Have a sandwich. I can't eat. Get out. We're done. Why? Because when you die, all five pounds of you, I don't want to deal with it. It's the same thing. It's like it's ridiculous. It doesn't fit. It's taboo right. is the point I'm driving to. And when you look at that hubris that a, that a neonate might have and how they act in society, like take that same neonate, not the anorexic. Let me wind it back. You're the neonate who was energetic, jumped and killed someone. Right. And your sire knows you have that in you and you get a slap in the wrist that time. Then he takes you to Elysium for your night of hospitality. Mm -hmm. You're there in front of the prince and the sheriff stares at you, analyzing you, says something rude, blah, 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 that you take wrong because you don't know what he meant. And you give him a hard look. Your sire pulls you, don't you ever look at that man like that again. You know where you're at and you're like, fuck him, fuck you and fuck that of a harpy. <laughs> Why the hell did you just do that, right? Right. Provided you're not dealt with right. on the spot, you know, because your sire can't do anything, but it's not unheard of for the prince to come down and demand your attention for a moment, you know? And what if you punch the prince? <laughs> what well, if? <laughs> it happens, right? There, right. I guarantee everybody right now is going, oh, dude, I've done it once, or I've had 10 friends who've done it. Point is, we all think it's cool until it's time to pay the check. Right. You know, but... What you did doesn't necessarily warrant death, but it is all within the cameraless power to go, all right, Sire Bob, this is Louie you made. Right. Um, Louie is no longer Camarilla. We acknowledge that you had permission to embrace him, and you did. We take that burden from you. Bob, please come over here. Yes, no, don't look at him. You, Louie, enjoy. Get out. Right. Don't let us see you in the city again. Right. What's Louie going to do? He has nothing. All he's known is the city. So he's going to go to the outskirts. And he's going to live any way he can at the barest form of survival, which is considered beneath a camera of vampire. Like, really? Right. You know, but you can thrive and survive as that autarkus. This book's rife with talking about that, but there's perils of its own. You know, you're on, you're on the outs. Right. Exactly. What's it mean in the Sabbat? You know, this answers that question of that player who's a Sabbat player and goes, I have to be in a pack. I was made and I have to be in a pack. If I'm not in a pack, what do I do? Right. Whatever you want. Right. Absolutely. It's whatever you want. You're in a sect where gangs of vampires are going to go to and from, but you're now this person who doesn't have a pack. You're missing a huge chunk of what being a Sabbat is, but the Sabbat doesn't discard you for that. Right. What they will discard you for is not towing the company line. Right. You can be in a pack or not in a pack and you decide I'm not going to go war for you. I'm not going to go war in that city. <laughs> right. Dude, I'm not drinking your Valdry. I'm not participating in that ritual. All right, cool. Get the fuck out. Right. What? Yeah, get the fuck out. You're over right. there. There's an example uh, later on here in the book of an individual gentleman who, for a very different reason, sort of ends up on the outs of uh, the Sabbat. But it's for a very distinctly different ideological purpose. <laughs> You know, meets a little Tremere anti-tribute. They get a little cottage. They start learning some things from one another. <laughs> Tremere anti-tribute go go bye bye, and he's like, huh. Anyways, we'll not get into that now. But but they go over tons of stuff, right? All based right. on basically consider the seven deadly sins, the seven different ways you can find yourself sans a sect, right? And what you got to do, you know, to to continue on. Right. And to me, this this chapter answers a lot of those questions, those like oddly specific, like, hey, man, what happens if I want to leave the Camarilla? Or what happens if I want to leave the Sabbat? Or what happens if I want to become an Anarch? How does that process work? Well, here's a chapter for you. Boom. It's in here. Mind blown. 
talks about switching sex as well and the mm-hmm. pitfalls of it. If you were ever, because uh, there's always a player who says, dude, I'm a former Sabat member going Camarilla. Mm-hmm. Welcome to being spied upon 24-7. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Doesn't go away. Always. Doesn't matter what you do, and you'll never have a position. Right. Ever. That's, that's what happens. But you have their protection. That's the only benefit to it. What if it goes the other way and you're in the Sabat? Provided right. you're someone who goes through and accepts the rights and performs well and does what you should, you'll be right as rain. Right. Right? But if you go there and don't perform well, in other words, whenever you fuck up, they have reasons to kill you. Right. And, and you know, that's the other thing, too. Like, I've played games where the prince was a super hard ass, right? Where I, I walk in playing this character, and I'm a former Sabat member, but, hey, you know, I, that sect is crazy. I don't want to be a part of that. I'm, I want to change my ways. You know, I, I was told everybody's accepted into the Camarilla. And the prince or the sheriff in in the as the prince watches is like, oh, yeah, everybody's accepted. Hope you don't mind this stake in your chest. Right. And I'm like, well, that fucking sucks. So do I have to make a new character? And they're just like, yep. <laughs> and I'm like, well, good thing I had that opportunity to talk for my and, and you you may encounter that. Right. It all depends on the game that you're playing in, the storytellers, the players in that game and, you know, how how uh, conservative they want to be or how liberal they want to be. You know, right. that, that same character concept, you could walk into a city and the prince could be like, hey, you know what? Everybody deserves second chances and third chances and fourth chances. So just come on in. You know what? I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you the spectacle of Elysium. Everyone, this is so-and-so. And he used to be a member of the spot, but he's changed his ways. Let's all pay attention to what he <laughs> does now. You know, I mean, these things happen. So this this will help you as a guide. What, is, what does that look like? Well, here you go. And now uh, the uh, one of the things I want to get to before we you know kind of turn it down, because there's some chapters that are good, but you really can't review them. Mm-hmm. Just read, know what new merits and powers and BS right. are. Um, it gets in the cults. Right. This is, this is called flaunting the masquerade. It literally talks about getting as close to breaking the masquerade as it gets, and you're a part of it. Several good stories are in here of how people are doing it. Right. But it goes in depth trying to brainwash you as you read it i'm i'm not joking there's like a phrase in there it says repeatedly at the, you know what i'm talking did you get mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. or at the end of end of it it's like do you see what i'm saying right you know it's not what it says i'm paraphrasing but it's like get the point do you want to join me do you see what it means come on in right it's like mm-hmm. every paragraph explanation has that exact phrase at the end except for one right one or two where it talks specifically about the game why does it do that i deliberately think they're trying to show you what brainwashing is like it's a technique. Um, if you've ever sat with uh, a, a doctor in an emergency, if you could recall, they always try to get you to say your name or your middle name or something like that. They're trying to get you to be responsive. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get you to talk, but they're also trying you to retain what's going on and know where you're at, right? There's a reason you do that is because repetition and engagement keep you focused and then taps in your... Per- your it's a form of learning and control, like right. giving it back to you that you didn't have it. Well, in here, it details some of the worst tragedies of human existence um, right. one like jonestown yep it highlights uh, that yep and waco the branch davidians heaven's and, gate cult yep is is another thing it kind of throws in your face why does it do that because they're trying to show you that no matter what you do as a kindred mortals have already set the bar well and you know too uh, one one thing i realized when i was reading this you know i'm kind of reading this and i'm like why are they going so deep into like the whole cult thing like come on i i already know about what happened in waco like i, I know about the branch davidians I, I know about the seventh day adventists and all this other stuff and i was like oh wait a minute 
I'm a creepy asshole. I know about stuff like this because I look it up, right? I don't, I don't think you're creepy, though. No, and, and I mean that in a, in a jestful, in a joking way. But, like, I know for me, I look up stuff like this. Whenever I make a character in this game, I want to look up everything, right? If my character concept is I'm a cult leader, I want to know about cults. If my concept is I'm a serial killer, whatever, I want to explore that. I'm going to look up serial killers. But I have to address that probably most people don't. Right. And so for people that don't understand like the cults and like what that's about and you know for a normal person why would you this is not like normal behavior so why would you care and also people still end up in cults so clearly they don't look them up um this gives you an idea of what that looks like both in the real world and in the world of darkness what's terrifying about this is that you're going to find your own job is in this chapter oh, about yeah. cults yeah every company now I think they were all trying to get to this point, and now I absolutely have, and are probably going overboard. They try to get you to drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah, absolutely. That phrase, drink the Kool-Aid, comes from Jonestown, <laughs> by the way. Drink the Kool-Aid comes from Jonestown. Right. That's how in-culture cults are. And it tells you how one person can control a group. Fundamentally, remember one fact. Everybody wants to be led. Yeah. Remember that one fact. And when you don't want to be led, you're called antisocial. Just note that right. they have a nice little phrase that encapsulates everybody. You're resistant to leadership. He doesn't like authority. You're right. I don't like anybody telling me what to think, how to think, who to be and why to be. And I'll never change. And that's what makes me at odds with establishment. I don't mean to be that way, but they'll also turn around and say something that does make you a cult of personality though. Right. Because the very fact that you stand out from the norm means you have the potential to pull them to you because they're curious why you went over there. Right. And you can pull them. And a cult starts with just one other person agreeing with you and understanding your viewpoints. And if you keep playing your song, you'll attract more and more people until before you know it, you have a method. Now, does that sound familiar? Should. It's what a vampire does when he builds a herd. Right. It's what right? the Camarilla is. Right. It's what the Sabbat is. And that's the that's the correlation that they're drawing here. And it starts out like a lot of these do. The, this, is, this is actually... It's captured in the book as like a handout, right? Yep. And they do this in, in a, quite a few other books. But where did it come from? Who knows? But here's an individual who's going, all of these things are cults. The sects are cults. The You and your herd, that's a cult. Bob plays a character in a game that we play weekly, and his character's name is Warlock. And Warlock <laughs> has a fucking cult, right? And it's that's his cult. herd. And, 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 you know, the, it... That's neither here nor there, but but it's it's very. <laughs> you didn't interesting. see the sinister look Nate did. He tried not throwing himself under the bus. I'll let you not be thrown though, because you were my right hand man. Right. So we'll right, absolutely. It. Well, you know, I, I feel like my my job is to make sure that that cult doesn't violate the masquerade too much. Right. <laughs> but here's here's the downside. Um, I'll, I'll be very candid with you. Whether White Wolf Noon or not, people who play this game. Your origins, you were looked at as a cult. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anybody that played this as a LARP in, in a public location or in a semi-private location. I mean, when I told my parents, hey, I play a game called Vampire the Masquerade, they were like, ah, shit. What now? You know? And it, it, it was very much a group where you have your storytellers and they were they were charismatic. And then you had all these other people that kind of like, they, they didn't hand out a uniform, but everybody kind of like wore the same, you know, right. kinda, you know? and it, it very much... 
black tight clothing, right. laces, leather, all nine. And and in some circumstances, it even went beyond that. You know, never like in an area that I ever experienced, but you know, definitely there were like these little almost like cult of personality kind of like get a little creepy scenarios around this game. I'll be on point downtown Lombard, Illinois. I'd have taught that police department where they told me flat out, mm-hmm. I'm the cult leader. <laughs> sat me down i signed documentation and said i was the leader and on a document said of the cult that participates freely in lombard park <laughs> we work with the police if we didn't sign it we were considered gang activity right think about that how the hell is a gang activity to play rock paper scissors i don't know but if we wanted to play and use that public space that's what we had to do right and so it was like cult leader and by the way i'm upset i got no free sex no I got no buckets of money. No. And there was no like, you know. To be um, fair, though, you did not have to cut off your genitals or kill yourself. Right. But here's the thing. I didn't get all the grape Kool-Aid. That's bullshit. And I'll tell you why. Thank you. Uh, I can tell you a hundred different times where folks just walked up and handed Bob some Gatorade. I did get a lot of grape Gatorade. (laughs) I did, actually. Now I think about it. Uh, Bob just realized he was a cult leader. (laughs) I did. I just realized that. (laughs) Yeah, it's just um, nobody gave you, like, your uniform. and uh, But that's okay. You were the cult leader. You were the storyteller. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up when you think about it. When you're running a game for, like, 100 people in a park, and then at, at times where you determine everyone just shuts up and listens to you. With one word. Ready? I'm going to teach you the power of my cult and you listening right now fantastic if you are still in the cult thank you continue (laughs) i will say it you know the words pre (laughs) everyone gets quiet i will talk for 10 10 minutes to 60 depending on how mad everybody gets (laughs) and then i will say game on and then four hours later precisely four hours later you will hear me say another magic word post or you'll have a crier who will shout it for you the criers are the best right someone on your staff on your quote-unquote staff, fucking cult leader, dude. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we talk about cults. Uh, all kidding aside, you can read that for yourself. Um, but then we get into, I don't know, man. It's a chapter. There's a guy in a suit, and it looks very much like he's summoning a demon. And sure as shit, there's demonic powers in here. I got to defend it. They don't exactly tell you the chapters about infernalism, but it does tell you these powers don't come from a good place. Right, right. They're pretty specific. It's called dark thaumaturgy, um, which apparently dark thaumaturgy was was something that the Tremere anti-tribute had been exploring um, to varying degree. Um, Investments were made. And uh, yeah, Uh, I've, I've only ever played one character who had dark thaumaturgy, and it was for a very short time. And that's it. Um, to me, as a storyteller, I've only ever permitted it uh, as a... I've never even... I don't think I've ever let a player ever have it. It's just something that I haven't included in my game because I don't think I've ever ran a game that that would warrant that. I'll paraphrase the same character because it's in my game that you did have Dark Thaumaturgy. Mm-hmm. I'll let you know. It was cool for Nate for the week he got it. Yeah. And then every game session after that, I just watched him just hands in the air aghast just shocked at what what was what he had to do to use the simplest power right not how difficult it was to use it was how easy but how terrifying right the effects right that's how i know i did it right when that infernalist player is so stressed out i mean dark thaumaturgy player right is so stressed out because there's no illusions where he's going right there's no doubt of what it's going to be what does it matter 
the Camarilla sect politics anymore. Right. When I, if, if I had all the riches in the world, but I know that in 30 years I'm going to hell. Right. Right. So deals already made 30 years. I go to hell. What the fuck could I get in life that would make me say it's worth what I paid? Right. It's just, it's a rapid advancement of your power. And, and that's, and, and in retrospect, the character that I was playing, if I could go back and do it again, I wouldn't have made that investment. Right. Because today I have the ability to go, this is a character who believes he's evil. Right. But when I'm giving my soul, I'm making myself a slave to something that's actually evil. Well, what am I then? Right. I'm a minion. So for me, it was like at the time it was like, yeah. And then I was like, oh, man, I fucked up. And, <laughs> and what, what we're talking do? about is the because we mentioned cults, because we're in infernalism. Right. This is as close as to Nefandi as vampire gets. Nefandi is often that catch word that mage players throw out to say, we know evil. They're called Nefandi. Use your imagination a bit. Right. How, whatever title you want to give it, all roads lead to damnation. Right? Damned is damned is damned. I don't care what the being is. I don't care what the dark power is. You're not the one who spared the agony of e- eternal torment. Right. right? That's the being who is. And by the way, even they're eternally tormented in some way because why do they need hellish minions? Right. So the point is, it's not a good thing. Not a good thing, not a good thing, not a good thing. However, as a storyteller, as a fan of horror, this needs to exist. It needs to be there. To the player who seeks it, to the player that really has the maturity to take the patience, to pursue it, to have it, rules exist for it. Right. Just know that it's not a character that will leave, won't reign long. Nope. You won't reign publicly. And when you're found out, everyone will kill you. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's, the, that's the bottom line, really. And uh, I think that uh, aside from that, we have the little clubs, right? And the only one I really want to mention, because um, that, that goes oh, right the into Gehenna the appendix. Yeah. Right. Well, not even, not even the Gehenna cults. Like, we can't close this book without mentioning the Thrill Kill Club. Oh, right? yes. This is my, my favorite. Bad. This is my favorite. Yes, absolutely. I share that with you. Uh, but these are this uh, the appendix is called a conspiracy of sinners and it, and it mentions all these different little groups and like what they do and you know we'll leave it for you to to read of course but my favorite is the thrill kill club and uh, uh you know read it for yourself but it's def it is exactly what you think it is and it's they got a band <laughs> okay just saying badass one right other side of the coins we forgot i forgot to mention because we uh-huh. have wax poetic one of the coolest things in here about the cults is the one they have in texas mm-hmm. i believe it was Oh, the guy that gets on the cross yeah, yeah it yeah. is awesome yeah. it is a kindred who once a year climbs up on a cross doesn't move and he looks exactly like jesus and he just sits there and his own followers crucify him and they put him up and people from all around come to see him to touch him to pray at him whatever because allegedly he has healing properties he's, he's ability to heal and we know he does, right? Mm-hmm. But the cool thing is, is that his price, right? It's it's slick. He demands donations of blood. Half the blood collected goes to the local hospital. Everybody's appeased. Mm-hmm. The other half goes to him, right? Smart way to do it. Right. But why does he do it? And that's the most important part. He truly believes that he communes with Jesus. He gets closer to Christ by going up on that cross and instead of begging for his forgiveness, he suffers unto himself as Christ did. Right. And I'll tell you right now, the, the guy who's narrating that story, retelling it, 
He's very true. He says, if you're thinking for one second that the camera is just going to descend upon him and rip him apart, eh, that may be his fate. However, whoever they send better realize it's a small town in Texas and a lot of them believe that he is reborn. Right. So he's, what he's happens? Got a decent following. <laughs> right. What are they going to do? You think when they come for their Messiah and it's cool because a player who's looking to build a cult that does that, it just gives you depth and an idea of just how simple it could be to build one. Right. All righty. Cool. Well, that, that's about it. Um, sins of the blood. I would say, um, it is, uh, it is definitely a book for those that are more advanced in the game. And it's an imperative book because it talks about a lot of the sort of fringe concepts within uh, this game. And it's it's a book of heretical practices. It's the heresies. It points that vampire is not black and white. Right. It can't be. It cannot be. Um, you might be a villain. Like, it, there's an analogy to put in there that you can be as humane as you like, right? But one night... You may indeed frenzy and eat that newlywed couple. Right. Right. And why'd you eat that newlywed couple? It can be as simple as you remember what it was to be engaged and oh, what it would have been like if you got married and the beast took it in a weak moment, ran with that ball and made you eat their happiness so you can experience what they did while it feeds. Yep. That does not make you a good guy, you know, but a Sabbat, you can stop your pack from eating a child, take them and throw them in an orphanage and move on. Yep. And when they ask why, it wasn't because you were good, right? They could think that all they want to. But, you know, off basically, appearances are deceiving, don't assume, and nothing is as simple as bad and good. Right. All righty. Well, next week, we are going to be reviewing New York by Night. We'll, we'll be learning about what happened when the Camarilla came in and took the city over from the Sabbat. So um, definitely check with us then. And week after that, we are doing Cairo by Night. So You will realize why Polonia... And Theo Bell are the badasses. <laughs> really two of my favorite characters. Just saying. Cool. Uh, definitely check those out. Uh, they'll be up next week. Also, if you uh, want some additional education about playing Vampire the Masquerade, check us out on Patreon. One of our reward tiers, we do a podcast, um, an educational podcast about how to play the specific sects, uh, roles, and it's voted on by our patron, uh, by our, our, our Patreon backers. So definitely check that out. Otherwise, uh, we will talk to you in a few days with our nerd words podcast and next week with New York by night. My name is Nathan and I'm Bob and we'll talk to you next week. I know the parts of your house where the shadows are the darkest. 20 years have passed since a tragic fire at an illegal rave killed over a hundred people outside Austin, Texas, but is that all that happened on the night in question? Experience the horror of Vampire the Masquerade like never before. Jackalope LARP and White Wolf present a blockbuster LARP horror event. The Night in Question, November 17th, 2018, Austin, Texas. Jackalope-LARP.com for tickets and information. Where will you be on the night in question?